Welcome to Time Travel Rock here on 90.3 KRNU. I'm your host, Jackson Reddick. And for episode number three today, we'll be diving into the ever so famous British rock band Queen. Uh, Queen was formed in 1970 by their most famous member, Freddie Mercury, who led on vocals and piano, Brian May on guitar and vocals, Roger Taylor on drums and vocals, and lastly, John Deacon on the bass. Uh, They primarily focused on progressive rock, hard rock, and mixes of heavy metal in between. Uh, Later on, they went to more of the the radio-style format, uh, the radio rock things like that so they could you know gain more notoriety with their music uh, may and taylor actually worked with each other before queen in a band called smile uh, which they worked on for a little bit and freddie mercury actually found himself stumbling upon them and he was critiquing them you know he really liked their style until he inevitably wanted to just join the band he joined and they later on became queen uh, and that's where the group kind of had their kickstart. As Queen was trying to kickstart their careers, they got a hold of promoter Ken Testy. He was able to attract Charisma Records, who offered Queen an advance of around 25,000 pounds. The group then turned them down as they realized that they could promote for Genesis as a priority. Testy then entered discussions with Trident Studios' Norman Sheffield, who the band really fell in love with as they were able to work with Trident, as they were able to get some high-tech recording facilities. They were able to use them to kind of just tinker around. Uh, Queen then started, uh, they had their first gig at Bedford College in 1972. They were there in London where only six people turned up. After a few more shows, they kind of stopped performing live as they wanted to take a break to really hone in their first studio album. Uh, During the sessions at Trident, they saw David Bowie, and they realized that they really needed to make an impact with the album or they would be left behind in the rock and roll industry and just be another band that was unsuccessful. Their first studio album, Queen One, that they released in 1973 had 10 songs on it uh, that one of their best songs on the album was not really critically acclaimed uh, keep yourself alive it sold poorly mainstream wise uh, gordon fletcher of the rolling stone called the album superb the chicago's daily herald called it an above average debut again it didn't have that much mainstream pushback but uh, keep yourself alive was on 2008 rolling stones 31st ranked in 100 greatest guitar songs of all time uh, citing it as an entire album's worth of riffs crammed into a single song the album was certified gold in the uk and the us and with queen's keep yourself alive it is a great mixture of just guitar riff after guitar riff you know the beginning you're kind of built into it freddie mercury sings a verse a little bit of a chorus and then you go back into that original guitar riff and it is a beautiful piece of work by brian may and john deacon on guitar just a beautiful song here is queen's keep yourself alive from their debut album
Queen 1, Queen then released their second studio album, Queen 2, in August of 1973. They were able to use regular studio time. They were able to make full use of the facilities. Brian May then created you know, multi-layer guitar introductions to their songs. Uh, the band was really working well together. In 1974, Queen played the Sunbury Pop Festival in Australia, where you know they were first trying to get along, and they actually arrived late. Uh, when Freddie Mercury left, when they were leaving, he announced that when we come back to Australia, Queen will be the biggest band in the world. Queen 2 was released in March of that year. 
which was a successful album for them in 1974. The group ended their 1974 UK tour with a show at the Rainbow Theater on March 31st, where, you know, they were just kind of moving along a little bit. They were still kind of picking up, as in May of 1974, a month into the band's first U.S. tour, opening for Matt the Hop, the Hoople, Brian May collapsed and was actually diagnosed with hepatitis, forcing the cancellation of the remaining of their dates. While recuperating, May was initially absent from the band as they worked on their third studio album, Sheer Heart Attack, where in 1974 it was released and it was a good a good album at first. You know, it, it was the first time that you know all of their album covers had all four of them, and they all were they always were all four on the album cover but the most popular song on the album was killer queen became their first u.s hit reaching number 12 on the billboard top 100 the song was recorded in two separate areas it was recorded at rockfield studios in wales where freddie mercury was playing the grand piano had a little bit of mix of vaudeville Um, so just a very large mixture of music put in together into one song here is queen's killer queen she keeps them always shando in a pretty cabinet Anthony cake she says just like marie antoinette a building remedy for cruise job and kennedy at any time an imitation you can't
after Sheer Heart Attack was released in 1975, the band left for a world tour. They toured the U.S. as headliners, playing in Canada for the first time as well, even though several dates were canceled after Freddie Mercury contracted contracted laryngitis. Uh, you know, the band kept touring along, but in August of 1975, they found themselves wanting to split off from Trident, the management that the band was with. Uh, they just were still impoverished. They were, you know, living in bedsits. Well, John Deacon was not wanting money for a deposit on a house. They, they were just in murky waters. Trident wanted their 200,000 pounds that they originally invested into Queen. The band did not want to pay that money. Uh, they were almost they almost went with Led Zeppelin's manager, Peter Grant, but then straight away from that is they didn't want to be seen as second place to Led Zeppelin or Bad Company, who also signed to Swang Song Records, the place where Grant would send his artists. Uh, but they then went to John Reed, Elton John's manager, and he told them, I'll take care of the business. You guys make the best records that you can. Queen then went to work on their fourth album, A Night at the Opera, being the most expensive album ever produced at the time, costing 40,000 pounds, eventually using three separate studios. The album featured more diverse musical styles, your experimentation with studio sound and stereo sound, a lot of different great songs on the album. But the best-known song, probably Queen's best-known song of all time, Bohemian Rhapsody, was on that album. Mercury had started writing it while he was in college. He, When proposing this song to the band, there was a port, reportedly 180 overdubs used to the extent that the original tape that they were using it wore thin just because Mercury wanted to perfect it. There was opera pieced in there after... You know, multiple other, you know, there's the opera section and then there's the heavy rock metal kind of towards the end of the song after you get through the whole, you know, storytelling aspect of the song. It was radio stations didn't really want to play it at first, though, as a single because it was so long. You know, it was longer than a typical radio single. Uh, Capital London radio DJ Kenny Everett was the one who really gave the song exposure, though. He was just constantly playing it. He ended up doing so 14 times over a single weekend, just constantly playing Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, fans kept calling in. They wanted to know when the song would be released because they loved the song so much. EMI was forced to release Bohemian Rhapsody due to public, public demand, and the single reached number one in the UK for nine weeks in a row. It ended up being the third best-selling single of all time in the UK, surpassing the Band-Aids' Do They Know It's Christmas and Elton John's Candle in the Wind, 1977. And it is the best-selling commercial single in the United in the United Kingdom of all time. It also reached number nine in the U.S. for it reached number nine in the U.S. in 1992 re-release. Reached number two on the Billboard Top 100 for five weeks. It is the only single ever to sell a million copies on two separate occasions, and became the Christmas number one twice in the U.K. and the only single ever to do so. It has also been voted the greatest song of all time in three separate polls. It is just one of the best pieces of music of all time. You know, it is a story of Freddie Mercury that is basically him talking about himself. You know, many have speculated that it is him coming out basically to the world that he was wanting to kind of just kill this persona that he was trying to hide who he was. This was Freddie Mercury 
coming out to everybody saying, yes, this is who I am. And I want you to accept that because I have accepted it within myself. And I just want everybody else to accept it as well. Nonetheless, here is Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody off of their album, A Night at the Opera.
For Queen's sequel of A Night at the Opera, they recorded A Day to the Races, which came out in 1976, kind of using the same album art, you know, just using their main logo per se on there. The major hit on the album was Somebody to Love, a gospel-inspired, a gospel-inspired song, which Mercury, May, and Taylor multi-tracked their voices to create kind of that choir sounding i will play that here in a second the song reached number two in the uk and number 13 in the united states just an all-time probably in a top 10 of queen songs except that all their music is so good i don't even know if it would fall into there uh, queen did play one of their landmark gigs on september 18th 1976 a free concert in hyde park in london organized by richard branson it set an attendance record at the park with 150,000 people confirmed to be in the audience uh, queen happened to be light, uh, late arriving on stage. Uh, they ran out of time to even play an encore. Police told Mercury that if he tried to go back on stage again, he'd be arrested. Uh, Brian May really enjoyed playing at this particular place as he had came here as a child to see concerts. Uh, you know, he saw Pink Floyd at this same destination, so it really meant a lot to him to be able to play at this uh, where at Hyde Park. Uh, but here is Queen's Somebody to Love off of A Day at the Races. Mm-hmm. Each morning I get up 
Queen's sixth studio album, News of the World, was released in 1977, which perhaps may have been their most popular album of all time. It has gone four times platinum in the United States and twice in the UK. The album contained two of the most popular rock and roll songs of all time, the two anthems, We Will Rock You, and the ballad, We Are the Champions, which now, in sports culture are two of the most popular songs you will ever hear. They actually are always played back-to-back, We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions, as that is how it is meant to be. Uh, anytime you listen to a radio station and you hear the songs, you will most definitely always hear them back-to-back. If you hear We Will Rock You, you can definitely assume that We Are the Champions is next in that little time slot right there. Uh, Queen started their News of the World Tour in 1977, uh, which they started out in Los Angeles Times. Robert Hilburn called this concert tour the band's most spectacularly staged and finally honed show. During the tour, they sold out two shows at Madison Square Garden, and in 1978, they received the Madison Square Garden Gold Ticket Award for passing more than 100,000 unit ticket sales sold at that venue. Well, now, here is Queen's We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions back-to-back.
fortune and everything that goes with it. I thank you all, but it's been no bed of roses, no pleasure cruise. I consider it a challenge before the whole human race, and I ain't gonna lose. After the success of News of the World in 1977, Queen released Jazz in 1978, which reached number two in the UK and number six on the Billboard 200 in the United States. The album included hit singles Fat Bottom Girls and Bicycle Race on the double-sided record. Both of those songs, really, really good songs. Another notable track, Don't Stop Me Now, which is another just classic rock and roll song. I won't play any of those songs. as got multitude of other songs to play later on can't play every single song sadly even though great music 1978 queen toured the united states and canada spent much of 1979 touring europe and japan they released then their first live album in 1979 live killers going platinum twice in the united states queen also released a very successful single crazy little thing called love kind of just a uh, they did it in the style of Elvis Presley, you know, and you could hear it in that song, just kind of a, a melancholy-ish kind of song. It made the top 10 in many countries, topped the Australian charts for seven consecutive weeks, and was the band's first number one single in the United States, where it topped the Billboard Hot 100 for four weeks. In 1980, Queen released The Game, an album that featured the single's crazy little thing called Love, and another one, Bites the Dust, which was originally on the album, but then after a certain someone visited a Queen concert, nonetheless, Michael Jackson was the one that suggested to Freddie Mercury, hey, you know, release another one, Bites the Dust, as a single. You know, it's a really good song. People would love it just by itself, which they did, and another one, Bites the Dust, spent three weeks at number one in the United States. The album topped the Billboard 200 for five weeks and sold over four million copies in the United States. Here is Queen's Another One Bites the Dust. Yeah. 
After the game's release in 1980, in February 1981, Queen traveled to South America as part of their game tour and became one of the first major rock bands to play significant shows in Latin America. Uh, back then, they were introduced to then Diego Maradona, one of the most famous soccer players of all time. Uh, they just really kept traveling and traveling. Uh, and then Queen, with their 1981 single Under Pressure, was their first collaboration with another artist that was spontaneous, and that other artist happened to be David Bowie, one of the most popular musicians at the time. Mercury and Bowie recorded their vocals on the track separate to one another, each coming up with their own individual ideas. The song topped the UK charts, which then in October, Queen released their first compilation album titled Greatest Hits, which showcased the group's highlights from 71 to 81, 74 to 81 which became the best-selling album in UK chart history and is the only album to sell over 7 million copies in the United Kingdom. 
as of July 2022, it has spent over 1,000 weeks in the UK album chart, according to The Telegraph. Approximately one in three families in the UK own a copy, which is absolutely astronomical when you think about it. The album is certified nine times platinum in the United States, and as of August 2022, it has spent over 500 weeks on the US Billboard 200 Greatest Hits and has sold over 25 million copies worldwide. Here is David Bowie along with Queen on Under Pressure. Slashed and torn
Around 1982 is when the band really saw their first struggles with one another. I guess you could say uh, they released the album Hot Space in 1982, which was mostly recorded in Munich during, you know, one of the band's kind of their falling out period, I guess you could say. Uh, Mercury and John Deacon really enjoyed the new soul and funk influences they took on that album, while Brian Ta- or while Taylor and May were less than favorable with that and were critical on the influence of Freddie Mercury's personal manager Paul Prenter had on Mercury himself. Um, according to Mac Queen's producer. Printer loathed rock music and was in Mercury's ear throughout the hot space sessions. You know, he wanted Mercury doing something different than the classic rock and roll that they had been doing. Brian May said that this guy comes in the course and one tour and tells everybody in the record station to F off, basically, um, to put it nicely. <laughs> you know, the band just really did not like the direction that Freddie Mercury was going. He was distancing himself away from everybody. Uh, Mercury spent time with Mac and his family, becoming godfather to Mac's first child. Just was not a good time for the band. Uh, Queen toured to promote Hot Space, but found some audience members unreceptive to the new new material. A gig in Frankfurt, Mercury told some people heckling the new material, if you don't want to listen to it, just go home. The band just was really not at their best at this time. They would perform on American television for the only time in their eighth-season premiere of Saturday Night Live on September 25th that same year. It became the final public performance of the band in North America before the death of their frontman, Freddie Mercury, which we will get into later on. But uh, their fall in popularity in the United States has been partially attributed to potential homophobia of people as Freddie Mercury, uh, the lead singer of Queen. He was a gay man. And at that time in America in the 80s and the 90s, it was not, you know, somebody being gay was not really accepted at the time. You know, it wasn't, it was not, uh, it wasn't like it is today. I'll just put it that way. Uh, At some shows in the 1980 American tour, fans tossed disposable razor blades on stage. They didn't like the identity of Freddie Mercury uh, they just didn't really like that he was this gay rock and roll person up there. And they just, and so Queen, they had that one time on American TV at the time, and they just, they didn't really want to go back. It was uh, not the not the best at the time. Uh, in 1983, in, through 1983 and 1984, 1984 of February, Queen released their 11th studio album, The Works, which had hit singles, Radio Gaga, which was a really, really good song. And that was one of their more popular songs in this and a certain event at a later on time uh, another good song on that album i want to break free which rolling stones hailed the album as the led zeppelin 2 of the 80s you know a very popular album in the uk the works went triple platinum and remained in the album's charts for two years the album failed to do well in the u.s where in addition to issues with their new record label capital records 
the cross-dressing video for I Want to Break Free, a spoof of the British soap opera Coronation Street, provided controversy and was banned by MTV. Yet again, you know, the, the acceptance of gays was really not there in the United States at the time. Controversy then kept following Queen as that year they went to South Africa and performed in the Sun City Arena upon returning to England. They were subject to so much discourse as due to apartheid at the time in South Africa. You know, the band stressed that they played in front of a segre- in front of a integrated audience, excuse me, and they then donated to a school for the deaf and the blind as a philanthropic, you know, gesture, but they were still fined by the British Musicians Union and later on Roger Taylor was definitely uh, not a fan of what happened on that uh, trip to South Africa, saying that it, their intentions were good, but he still thinks it was kind of a mistake to do. As in January 1985, Queen headlined two nights of the first Rock and Rio Festival in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, played in front of over 300,000 people each night. Um, the Boston Globe described it as a mesmerizing performance. Highlights from both nights were released on a VHS as Queen Live in Rio, which was broadcast on MTV in the United States. In April and May of 1985, Queen completed the works tour with sold-out shows in Australia and Japan. But the coming-out party back of Queen, you know, kind of a reboot per se, was at Live Aid, held at Wembley on July 13th, 1985, in front of the biggest-ever TV audience of an, assem- of an estimated 1.9 billion people. Queen performed some of their greatest hits. Many of the sold-out stadium audience of 72,000 people clapped, sang, and swayed in unison as Queen rocked the stage. Uh, So many people were there. Other musicians such as Elton John, Cliff Richard, journalists writing for the BBC, CNN, Rolling Stone, MTV, The Guardian, The Daily Telegraph, among others, described Queen as the highlight of the show. They just put on such a great performance Freddie Mercury, powerful sustained note that A.O. during the call and response acapella segment, it became to be known as the note heard around the world. You know, once again, the band really just kickstarted their careers once again. Uh, And they've come out and said that they were really lucky that Live Aid happened when it did, because if it didn't happen, the band may have fallen under. They really may not have come back from it. 1988, fans were becoming to realize Freddie Mercury had some sort of health issue. AIDS was frequently mentioned, but Mercury kept denying this, saying that he was just too exhausted. He was now 42 years old in 1988 and had been in music for almost two decades at the time. He had been working on various solo projects. He had... uh, including his collaboration with Matrasat Cabal in Barcelona. The band released The Miracle in 1989. The album continued with the direction of A Kind of Magic previously, using a pop rock sound mix with a few heavy numbers. Uh, spawned a really big hit single, I Want It All, which is an anti-apartheid anthem in South Africa. And The Miracle also began a change of direction in Queen's songwriting philosophy beforehand. It was all songs that had been written and credited to a single member. With The Miracle, their songwriting was more collaborative, and they wanted to, uh, as the band was coming to an end, they wanted to all work together, almost. In 1990, Queen ended their contract with Capitol and signed with Hollywood Records. Through the deal, Disney acquired the North American distribution rights to Queen's catalog for $10 million, and the group's music catalog owner 
and distributor in the United States and Canada is still Disney. In February that year, Mercury made what would prove to be his final public appearance when he joined the rest of Queen on stage at the Dominion Theatre in London to collect the Brit Award for Outstanding Contribution to British Music. Their 14th studio album, the last one that Mercury was on, Innuendo, was released early in 1991, with other charting singles released that year. The music video for The Show Must Go On featured archived footage of Queen's performances between 1981 and 1989, along with the manner of the song lyrics fueled with reports that Mercury was dying. Mercury, Mercury was increasingly ill and could barely walk when the band recorded The Show Must Go On, and the band really had concerns whether he was even capable of physically singing at all. But Brian May then and then recalled that he completely killed the number. The rest of the band were ready to record when Mercury felt able to come into the studio for an hour or two at a time. May says Mercury just kept saying, write me more, write me stuff. I, I want to just sing this and do it. And when I am gone, you can finish it off. He really had no fear of the band's Second Greatest Hits compilation, Greatest Hits 2, followed in October 1991, and it is the 10th best-selling album in the United Kingdom, the 7th best-selling album in Germany, and it is certified diamond in France, where it is one of the best-selling albums and has 16 million copies sold worldwide. On November 23, 1991, in a prepared statement made on his deathbed, Freddie Mercury confirmed that he did have AIDS, and within 24 hours of his statement, he died of bronchitis pneumonia which brought on the complication of his disease. In the funeral service on November 27th in Kensal Green, West London, it was private and was held in accordance with the Zorastan religious faith of his family. After that, the band still went on to release later music, but it was just never the same after Freddie Mercury was gone. Here is The Show Must Go On from their final album with Freddie Mercury, Innuendo, in 1991. And this is going to wrap up episode three of Time Travel Rock. I'm Jackson Reddick, and this is from 90.3 KRNU.
Tales of yesterday 